0: Hello again and welcome to Killing the Great White Male. With I, I get I realized at some point this season that I haven't been saying who I am. I'm just the voice on on your podcast. I'm Royce Tevis Towns. I work with privilege and uh, I, I look at what the price of that privilege is. What the what's the cost? What's the what's the part of me that I have to cut away in order to have privilege? So uh, today we're continuing our conversation, our, our shared experience with Lauren Carlson. I need to remind you that this particular conversation has a lot of triggery content for a lot of different folks around sexual assault and rape, so please be prepared for that. Um, treat yourself gently. This, uh, this, this is a big one. We left off last time... In our conversation, asking the question, why are we surprised when people who are told that their only value is providing for their family, why are we surprised when people like that do terrible things when faced with layoffs and money trouble? Well, let's dive right back in.
1: Right. Oh, yes, I'm definitely not. Those are all I, when I read things or when I watch uh, documentaries on, there's always, I, I see it. There's a pattern there. It's not, it's not surprising.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So there's all that when, when we talk about boys and sex or men and sex, um, and the, the machinations and the dominance and all of this stuff, one of the stories that stuck out to me, um, happens on page 70 in the book. And there's this young man that she names Mason. and she's changed as is appropriate she's changed the name so we don't know who these kids are so these people are um and he'd had what what men would call performance anxiety um around sex in his some of his previous sexual experiences and and they were not healthy sexual experiences um but there's this one where and this this to me kind of points to a path forward um so some, for some reason, they ended up actually just sitting, he and, and the girl that he was interested in, actually just sat down and talked. And it was prompted because she asked him, you know, have you ever done it before? Um, and he actually admitted <laughs> that, that he hadn't. Um, they continued talking for over an hour. Mason confided in uh, Jenny about his anxiety, his difficulty expressing emotion. When they began kissing again, suddenly everything clicked. It felt like this storybook moment, Mason's recalled. Because of having an hour conversation beforehand, being able to let my guard down, it's like after having that conversation, I felt extremely comfortable being with her. Whatever nerves had affected me the previous times disappeared. And I realized if I can't be fully vulnerable, mentally and emotionally, it stops me from being able to be vulnerable physically. Because the naked body, that's a very vulnerable thing, you know? Right. this these are his words this is how he described this and randomly uses the term vulnerability which i've ended up centering in on as kind of the the key thing because growing up it was taught vulnerability was weakness but it's not right um that story stuck out massively for me just like part of me wants to just hug this kid and be like oh my god i wish i, I had discovered that at your age <laughs> um, right but it 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 also like He's describing basic human experiences here. And Mm -hmm. until this one little moment where a bunch of happy accidents happened, he hadn't been able to, you know, actually sit down and have a conversation, a vulnerable conversation.
1: Because he's told this is just something you like.
0: Yeah. And he talks about it as part of its porn, too. But yeah. Right. Oh,
1: right. Right. Just n- not having the ability. I, th- I think that it's amazing to um, the, the different signals that we are told. At least we're teaching girls, no, this is something that should be emotional or you should, mm. um, you know, have an attachment towards someone before you uh, want to be sexual with them. But the fact that we're not sharing that or not expecting that or they don't know that it's OK or even probably better to yeah. to have these um feelings where it, it you're not having sex with a, a body, you're having sex with a human. Yes. And and you should enjoy that human. I'm not saying you're enjoying them for your whole life, but um
0: but in but this moment. Not,
1: but in, in that moment and and during this time um you are supposed to these are normal and and Um, and good feelings that you're having and we are not or our boys are not hearing it if we're if we're saying it they're not hearing it because uh the outside noise is just louder
0: it's one of the challenges we have this there is no animal on the planet um that has a period the length from gestation to uh adulthood is, is huger is huger. Wow. I'm going to use English <laughs> is bigger in the human animal than any other animal on the planet. But that's not the only one to look at the point at which we become capable of reproduction mm-hmm. and the point where we are actually emotionally um, prepared to support another human animal, meaning a child um, right. is also, a massive gap. It, you know, if if we are capable of reproduction somewhere between the ages of 12 to 14, again, there's a lot of variance here. Some people right. it's as young as 10. Like, it, it's there's massive variance here. So, but all that does is illustrate the importance of this gap because our brains are not out of the the phase of, you know, when we're teenagers. We like to joke about teenagers, but there is literally a a brain development issue there. They don't process um, fear cues the way the adult brain does. And there's an important... People talk about it like it's bad. It actually serves a very important purpose for the human animal because it's during that phase that we seek wisdom outside the home of origin, outside the family of origin, which is, again, why the human animal has survived because we have built-in bits of us that seek wisdom from outside the place so that we don't end up just totally inbred and stupid. Um, (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. literally. you know, If if all I know is the reality of my parents... I can never face the world. Um, right. Uh, so there's a basic developmental task there that has to be accomplished, and it's accomplished partially because we don't process consequences during that age. <laughs> so we don't right. understand the consequences. Well, which
1: is which is then why they they don't charge juveniles as adults because they don't process it. you know exactly. most most of the time because yeah. they don't process the same way. And there's so much science behind that. and um and yes, teenagers, do not see consequences in the future uh, the same way that that we do as a, as adults.
0: And so there's this, and I, I, hell, I would argue for me it was way beyond quote unquote adulthood. But anyway. Oh right. <laughs> um, but it uh, that gap between capable of reproduction and actually being able to understand consequences of our behavior and, and anticipate challenges that you know we're going to run into, um, and so we would define that as adulthood, that gap is over a decade in the human animal. Um, even if you use 25 years of age as kind of the marker. Um, right. Uh, you know, and some studies would vary on their markers on that stuff, but it's, it, it can it's be as young marker. as 21, 22. But mm-hmm. most studies that I've read p- put it around 25. For me, it was probably 33. But anyway. Um, <laughs> but, but there was, you know, I had kids at 24. Um, and, and it shifted everything dramatically for me, um, drastic, like just, oh my God, like I, I cried when I found that we were pregnant because I knew that at life as I knew it was over. Um, uh, and and it was important to grieve it. Uh, I love kids and I'm so glad I had them. <laughs> They're amazing right. human beings in spite of right. the problematic relationship that I had them in. Um, right. But it, uh, so, so yeah, like you've got this gap and then that gap is filled with not being able to process consequences and hormonal variation. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it's it's just there. There's problems here, people. We can't deal with it by telling everyone <laughs> you got to walk a razor's edge. It's not going to work. <laughs> right. um, oh man, God, I've, folks, if you want to, if you want just another endorsement for this for this damn book, I, I'm having trouble choosing which of the probably thirty dog ears to to actually pick up and talk about um,
1: yeah it was a great i I, I just want to say uh, as a mother of younger children, you know you don't want to imagine that someday your son will be saying these things the uh, every one of these boys was you know like my boy yes and um, and it was hard to get through but I think it's amazing because you can listen and and hear what your what well what my son could be saying mm-hmm. and how you you don't you don't want that but in another way i feel that i'm not that far removed from when i was that girl in college and they're talking about the 22-year-olds that i knew and and it it does put put my college years in a different perspective that I, what, what are we sending our girls off to? What, what are we, um, what are we teaching these boys and what are they really thinking? And it, it's, um, it was hard. Parts of it were very hard to get through for me, but, uh, but I think very important to hear all of those things. You have to hear those things. You have to realize that this is what, yes, your, your 18-year-old son is probably not saying these things in front of you, then that's probably the problem, you know, because yeah. they, they don't know how to open up and say these things. If, if this woman, Peggy Ornstein, if she was, if I could have a conversation with my son about that, and he has said, I just don't, I don't know I I I don't know what I'm supposed to want and what I'm supposed to like and if and I I listen to it thinking I should have those conversations with my son so that he doesn't he, so he some of these boys were saying this is the first time they've ever talked about it with yes. her with a stranger yes you know and and saying this is the most connected I've ever felt to a woman you know, yes. I, not not in a sexual way, but saying- Just connection, the basic most, human vulnerability. This is, this is the most vulnerable conversation I've ever had in my life. Yes. And they're having it with a reporter, you know, yes. with a writer. And she said she had stayed in touch with some of them for, to, to think of how she's changed their lives. And then as a, as me, as a mother, to think, this is the perfect way that I can draw from this- to see how I can change my son's life or um or how I can change my daughter's life by knowing what the world looks like through someone else's eyes it,
0: it, uh, so during one of the uh, one of the later chapters um I, as, as i'm oh God, there's so much here. Like from, she actually was able to document stories. These boys opened up about times when sex was non-consensual, including one, one young man who, I would say, he was raped on a bathroom floor while he was drunk at a party. Um, He didn't know that he had sex. Um, Like all just, like to be able to have those conversations, incredible. Um, So yeah, she obviously did really what she did here is significant and as i'm sitting i i just i broke down during one of the sections and my son happened to be walking down from his room to the kitchen um which i'm i, I will say um position yourselves strategically as a parent at the intersections for your kids and the kitchen will be an intersection so just there you go <laughs> you want advice there's parental advice um be present in the intersections um it, but it, it, he noticed that i was crying and and asked if I was okay. I said, you know, yeah, this just hurts. And I just straight up asked him, I said, how many times do you remember us talking about sex? Because um, I, I, kn- I know that it wasn't off limits and I know it also wasn't very comfortable for the kids. But we also, you know, it, it was one of those places where I was like, you know, they need to be able to exercise consent in saying no to the conversation continuing at a certain point. Also, we have to be able to say we need to have this talk. Um, and so there's a balance to be struck there. Um, again, you know, how do you have consent around having the conversation around consent? Um, <laughs> exactly. I, it, it's important. And well,
1: read my book. You'll find out. Uh, there you go.
0: <laughs> it's good stuff. Um, but it, it also, it was amazing as a parent to hear what he had taken away from those conversations. Cause in my head, I didn't do enough of it. Um, and You know, and he's being generous because he's dependent on me for food and shelter. Um, (laughs) You know, but but also, you know, he was able to name some things and say, "No, this was these bits were really helpful," Um, even though I didn't really want to talk about it. And that that's the conclusion she comes to in the book, is that um, these kids really wished that their parents had talked to them about it. Um, Right. And so it it was this weird lesson. Including, I remember one conversation when our son was. And we had we had similar conversations with our daughter. And sometimes we had conversations, in ones that are a little more generic, like consent. We had those as a family. Um, so, you know, family game night or family dinner night, we'd have a, you know, we'd talk about it for a little bit and then just follow the kids. And when they were done, they'd tap out and we'd be talking about video games or something. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you just got to let it be okay and you got to go down that rabbit hole with them. And, and it's fun because it, it, being a part of my kid's world is always the highlight of my day. Um, but one of the conversations I remember was around pleasure and porn and talking, you know, talking about the way that it distorts our brains to repeatedly get that dopamine hit sex, uh, you know, right. personal gratification off of porn, what it does to the brain compared to for a, and I bought a bunch of, um, romance, romance novels. Um, and you know, instead of just reading something and letting our imagination doing the work um that the difference is fundamentally uh, it's it's massive for the brain chemistry um and what it's conditioning us for now it can still be problematic because a lot of again a lot of those (laughs) romance novels the way they were written were written by men for men um even though they were read by women which is this weird intersection but there's a lot of wonderful romance novels written by women for other women for men these days um so there's 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 just a lot more variety out there. So take advantage of it. But uh, so I remember conversations like that, but that's, but I think actually the meta of this whole thing as I'm t- telling it is actually the fact that we had this conversation in the living room while I'm reading this book and crying. Right. And I guess for all the things that I've done wrong, I also look at moments like that and I, and I think and, – and she talks about this because these boys that have done these things where they realize, oh, fuck, I'm the monster. And I don't I, – that was five years of therapy right there. It was that term monster and the, the monster that I think of myself as being. Um, and the challenge is it's never as black and white as innocent and monster. It's always these the, – the gray – not always, quite often, the gray area between where we've really done some fucked up things – And we have also learned from that and done other things that are healthy and good. So it's right. I love the variety that she gives it. Um, right. And I think that's important. I I guess that's, that's what I would say about that. Variety is so important in so many different things in so many different ways. But this right here is a big one. Having multiple perspectives about ourselves And our actions challenges the temptation to think of ourselves and, frankly, therefore, others in black and white terms like monster and innocent. Because the fact is, most of us live most of our lives in gray areas. That's why we struggle with decisions. That's why we struggle with uh, challenges. Most of us know when something is absolutely the quote-unquote right thing and absolutely the quote-unquote wrong thing, but those are two extreme ends of the thing. Most of our life is lived between those, trying to figure out what is a good thing now, or how do I reconcile the fact that I did something that was hurtful to somebody, but I didn't, it didn't bother me. That's where most of our life is. So having multiple perspectives about ourselves, and therefore others, is vital to this conversation. Thank you for tuning in again today. I'm I'm enjoying the fact that we're releasing this particular conversation, this shared experience, uh, more often. Um, Yeah, and I look forward to hearing from you soon. Please be sure to share this conversation on social media uh, and, yeah, talk with somebody about it. Talk about your experience uh, of listening to this or what it brought up for you. Thank you, and... More tomorrow.